0: Hi, my name is Steven Mansfield, and this is Your Fifteen. Today I want to finish our three-part series on the whole issue of God and government. It's a great time for us to be talking about this. As I sit here right now, uh, I'm in the United States. It's 2012 in the spring and so we have a massive presidential election going on, but I'm not doing it for that reason. Uh, somewhere in the world there's always a presidential election going on, or a party election, or a new king ascending, or a new king, uh, an old king leaving. You always have shifts and changes. For the people of God, it's important that we not be carried off by party politics and the temporary and the immediate, but that we understand God's will for government. Now, we've already talked a great deal about this. We've talked, we read Romans 13 that says, "...let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established." Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against that which God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, this is a pretty tough scripture. It says, "...there is no governing authority except what God has granted." And the reason that that's so radical is that at the time that was written, you had very unrighteous leaders in the Roman Empire, you had very wicked men. Is the area to governors. I mean, you weren't talking about Republicans and Democrats. You were talking about people who thought they were gods and people who were putting people to death. And yet, what does the Bible say? I've given them authority for my purposes, like we see in the book of Daniel, and you submit to them as far as it's righteous. Okay? So we've talked already about, about the fact that in, in a biblical framework, government's not secular. Um, it's it's like the church, but different in function, in the sense that both institutions are ordained by God. Uh, we've talked about how there are laws from the Old Testament that once they're passed through the cross, still apply I, I, in the New Testament. The great, easy, almost funny example um, is that the New Testament does not tell you who you can and can't marry, so technically you can marry your sister, you know, according to the New Testament, but of course that's forbidden in the Old Testament, and of course that's meant to carry through the cross into the New Testament, and there are many other laws like that. Um, and we, we've also talked about the different spheres of the Kingdom of God and uh, the, the church and the school and the family, and all of those are in a sense governments, but they also respect and relate to uh, federal government uh, or, or central government. What, what I, what I want to do now today is I want to be a bit more practical uh, in this particular teaching, and I want to help you understand some of the ways that we need to relate to government. Wherever you are in the world, no matter how tyrannical the government that you are under might be, uh, no matter matter what kind of society you have, what what kind of governmental system, uh, there are things that we are meant to do. There are things we're meant to discuss. There are things that we're meant to uh, ways that we're meant to function. And so, I want to say a couple of things that may sound a little bit radical, but it will help us perhaps to live effectively in this generation. Uh, in which we are seeing the hyperactivity of government around the world and we're recognizing that government is as much a force for evil as it is for good in the world. Uh, the, the first thing I want to say, and this is going to be radical for some of you and, and, and maybe difficult for you to handle, uh, I want you to understand that conservatism, political conservatism, you know, limited government and, and oriented towards the market forces and so on, and liberalism, uh, emphasis on maybe a larger state, larger taxation, Uh, Redistribution of the wealth, things like that, going to the poor, providing a lot of social programs. Both of them are rooted in humanism. Both of them are rooted in humanism. Conservatism and liberalism, as philosophies that simply arise from people like Adam Smith or wherever, wherever, whatever human origins there are, these are both. These are simply two versions of humanism. What we as Christians are meant to do is not just to sign off on a political party and endorse its agenda as though it's the party of God. Uh, What we as Christians are meant to do is to understand that the biblical perspective is an alternative way that the biblical perspective, the, 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 the truth of scripture as it relates to government and as it relates to the way uh, Christians ought to behave in government, uh, is, is, provides a completely different perspective. For example, just one small example to, give you, to show you what I'm talking about. Uh, in Leviticus 19 and verse 15, uh, we have a scripture that almost in one verse, shows that God has a different way of doing things than just the conservative liberal tension that tends to define most nations and most governmental uh, contests going on in the world, certainly in the United States. Listen to this one verse from Leviticus 19 and verse 15. It says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor. And don't show favoritism to the rich. But judge your neighbor fairly. Now, conservatives have a tendency, certainly here in the United States with some of our Wall Street crisis, to favor the wealthy, and liberals have a tendency to favor the poor, and and so the Bible says don't do either one, but let there be justice. So justice is not found in, in uh, favoring the poor or the rich. Justice is found in justice as God defines justice. That's how justice is found. And, and so the, the point is that we can get caught up, particularly in the United States, in being allied to either liberals or conservatives, but, but, but the, both of those are basically humanistic systems. They may have some principles that ally with the scriptures, and, and, and one party may be closer to, to the full body of biblical truth than uh, perhaps another. But a lot of destruction has been done as God's people have not maintained what I call a prophetic distance from each party and instead spoken God's truth to the process as a whole. And as a result, the church often becomes a pawn of political parties. So just just an opening thought. We're not meant to give ourselves to the humanism of either conservative or liberal. We're meant to be distinctly biblical. Okay, we're meant to be distinctly biblical. For example, in the United States, the Republican Party has some platforms, have some positions that are, that are closely aligned with Scripture. Wonderful. Uh, and yet, many people who are Republicans would say, the poor need to be taken care of in the private sector. That has, the government should have nothing to do with it. Really? Uh, Two thousand Scriptures. Two thousand Scriptures mention the poor. And, and, and uh, no question that in the Old Testament, that the people of God were, uh, were, were in, in their government were taking care of the poor there were taxes even for the poor, and yet somehow we've come to a conclude in the United States that the poor should not be tended by any mechanism of the state. Well, obviously this is more of a secular philosophy than it is a biblical philosophy. We've got to grapple with this. We've got to think it through. We, we, we've, got, we've got to not be allied with left and right so that we miss God's best. Okay. Uh, the, second, the second principle I, I want to develop with you uh, that I think is a real check on what's happening uh, in, a lot of, in a lot of the world is that, We we must avoid the extreme of believing that government is inherently an evil. There are anarchists in the world, and then there are, probably a little closer to where some of us are, libertarians. And a thorough, consistent libertarian uh, is a man who wants government completely checked, completely held into a little box. Well, I mean, limitations on government are essential. Our founding fathers in America certainly wanted checks and balances and limitations on government. But that comes very close to believing that government is the problem, that government is the evil, that somehow government is inherently evil. But you can't be a biblical Christian and believe that. You can't be a biblical Christian and believe that government is automatically evil. Romans 13 says that government has authority from God. In fact, in, fact in, in a number of the translations of Romans 13, uh, we're told that uh, the government is a minister that ministers for God. And so we have to be careful not to just get angry every time government does anything. That actually is a form of rebellion. We need to get good people in office. We need to keep government in check. We don't need the bloated socialist state. Uh, but but we but government has the right to act. I, I was just uh, helping a, uh, the people in a state in America that's uh, contemplating they're contemplating a marriage amendment, uh, an amendment to their constitution that would define marriage as between one woman and one man. And I won't, I won't discuss that specific issue here on the air, but 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 some of the folks, some of the Christians were saying, well government doesn't have the right to do that. Well. I said, now, wait a minute. We want government to protect people who are being divorced, right? We want, we want a man in a situation where a man's beating a woman and that marriage needs to come to an end uh, and the state kind of steps in to protect her. We, we want government involved in that way of righteousness, don't we? Well, then the, if the government has to be involved on the back end, then legally... It has to be involved on the front end by defining what marriage is. It is a legitimate function of government. It is a place for government to be able to speak to issues of of marriage and the definition of marriage as a legal category so it can do the other things it's called to do. Um, some folks, some folks have actually said to me, "Government doesn't have the right to raise taxes." Well, I mean, even Jesus specifically said, "Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's." So yes, government has the right to raise taxes. And by the way, if they can raise taxes, they can decide what coin, what kind of currency, what specie they want to receive taxes in. I can go on and on and on. Uh, another another state, uh, they're having a big argument over what's the official language, and some folks are saying, "Well, government doesn't have the right to determine what the official language is." Well, hold up, the government does have the right to. Uh, the authority is what we should say, um, to define what language it wants to be spoken to in. In other words, what language is our literature going to be printed in? And I, You see what I'm talking about. Some folks have gotten so angry with government that they've moved into an ungodly kind of libertarianism and anger and animosity, and, and, and we need to be very, very careful about that. There's, a, there's another uh, issue, too. I just, I want to say, and I'll say this briefly, a lot of Christians... Uh, don't want to get involved in government because they think it's dirty or nasty, because they think it's like watching sausages be made, as we sometimes say in American politics, uh, because it's a nasty process. For example, in the state that I was just in, helping the Christians think through uh, how to do uh, how to how to respond to this marriage amendment, oh, probably some of those who had who had proposed the amendment were, didn't really have clean motives. They may have been trying to rev up the voting records, you know, in anticipation of a coming presidential election. One of the things that we have to do. Is understand that that politics is part of a fallen process, because every process in the world is part of a fallen world. Uh, you know, I could say that you know, f- football in America is part of a fallen process. I could say that medicine is part of a fallen process. Why? Because fallen, flawed people run those processes. So. Some Christians retreat from politics and won't have anything to do with politics, won't even pray for their politicians, because they look at politics and they say, man, this, it's, just, it's just a bunch of money-grubbing, corrupt people. The reality is that we can't back away from politics and from from striving for good and godly government because some part of it might be unclean. You know, i got to tell you, I'm very active in helping people in politics and consulting with candidates and working in Washington, D.C., and... I got to tell you that when I hear of a bill that, for example, wants to clear a certain piece of land, or or favor a certain industry, or or, or do something a health care bill of some sort like those we've all been recently dealing with, I just assume that somebody's doing it out of ill motive. That's not the only reason. I just assume that if somebody's clearing some land somewhere, that there's some developer keeping an eye on it and and maybe funding lobbyists to to push the, the measure. Oh, well, of course there's corruption, I, I know, and, and, and a coalition of tens of thousands of people, they're not all pure and holy. Some of them want to get something for themselves. Some of them are, are giving lip service to the good of the country, but they're just doing it for themselves. Listen, let me say something that's going to sound cynical. Politics, In politics, you only have a choice between hold your nose and hold your nose tighter. It smells, and then it smells worse. Now, that sounds real cynical. We live in a fallen world. But is it still worth doing? Yes. It's still worth doing. And it's not near as bad as it's been in other ages or at the time of Jesus when many of these things were commanded. So let's lighten up on the legalism and let's realize that we have a calling to speak God's truth to government and for some of us to run for office, not me, but some of you are called to run for office and be active at the local level. Let's not be perfectionists. Let's not go around like sin sniffing, you know, the Christians just shocked at their sin in the world. Come on. Come on. Yes, there's sin in the world. Now let's get busy. A few more thoughts that I think will help us. There is something that we are not allowed to do, according to the scriptures, that has almost become the national pastime here in the United States. And we need to be careful about it. The Bible says, do not speak ill of the leader of your people. Do not speak ill of the leader of your people. It's got to be one of the most ignored scriptures uh, in all of the Bible when it comes to politics. Now, does that mean you can't say that the guy's not doing a good job? Of course not. I will certainly tell you. I think certain presidents, certain governors, senators, congressmen aren't doing a good job, and I'll tell you why. But the Greek, the Hebrew in this passage mean more like don't be directly and personally insulting. Don't be dishonoring. Maybe I disagree with the American president or the British prime minister or the president of an African nation. I can say that I disagree with him. I can disagree with him honorably, but I do not have to go after him personally and insult him, and call him names, compare him to animals, and and use derogatory sexual terms for his wife. You understand what I'm talking about? And we have conservative and liberal comedians in the United States, and they get everybody all revved up and give them all funny language to go around saying to their friends and. It's not godly in most cases. It's not godly. Do not speak ill of the rule of your people. If we want a righteous land, if we want to be a righteous people, if we want God's blessing on our country, we are going to have to begin to bless and honor those who rule over us. And I will tell you, given what I do, I am in the presence of people all the time I disagree with. But it's always yes, sir, and no, sir, and how can I serve you, sir? And I mean, I pray for you, ma'am, and. That's, I believe, how we will show righteousness in addition to the deeds that we do in society. And then one final thought, and I I cannot stress this strongly enough. I cannot stress it strongly enough. Paul says so clearly in his letters to Timothy, we must pray. Pastors, if you are listening, it says that one of the things that ought to be built into your worship week to week is that you are praying for governors and rulers and those in authority over us. Why? So that we might have peace and a chance to do righteousness. So, build prayer for government. I don't, it does not matter if you like the president. It does not matter if he's of your party. Pray for him. Pray for him. I've literally had Christians say, I'm not praying for that president. Well, you are sinning. You might just as well go pick up some porn or say something nasty with your words or steal something. That's, it's as much sin as that. Pray, intercede, cry out to God. And I believe that as we do these things, God will begin to draw people from the body of Christ into public policy, into office, give them a sense of when they're supposed to run, and I believe we'll see a greater blessing on our efforts politically. Perhaps in the, in the, in the old uh, sto- story or the maxim that we sometimes use, perhaps we do, many of us, have the government that we deserve. I, don't, I want to deserve a better government. I want God to move and clean up our governments. I want to see the church free to do what it's supposed to do because there's righteous government in the world. And I believe we can pray it in, I believe we can honor those who are not righteous in the meantime, and I believe that we can understand God's work in the world as he orchestrates the governments of the earth for his purposes. And that is sure 15.